Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces on TikTok and Instagram. If you want more content after you check out this podcast, after you listen to the entire thing, feel free to check out both my Instagram and my TikTok, both of which I haven't been posting on that much recently. I've been really focusing on, first off, the podcast. That's been priority number one for me. And then, of course, schoolwork, and my football team's just about to get into the playoffs, so you know I, I've really been putting a lot of effort into that. This week in the NFL, there has been a lot of off-the-field stuff. So much, I could, if I wanted to, go the entire podcast without talking about any of the stuff from Week 8. But of course, I'm not going to do that. As you can tell by the title of the podcast, I'm going to do my takeaways from week eight. But first, I want to open by talking about some of the off-field drama. Because, you know, there was the trade deadline, and there's always drama with the trade deadline. And the entire Henry Ruggs thing, which I'm personally going to avoid talking about in this podcast. I don't think I'm... the. I don't think that I'm the best person to be talking about that. All I'm really going to say is kind of the obvious. Don't drink and drive. He's an idiot. He's going to drink and drive. And bad things happen when when someone does that. You make the conscious decision when you get into that car, whether you're drunk or, you know, whether you're sober or whatever, slightly tipsy. I don't care. Whenever you get into the car, you're not just risking your own safety. You're risking the safety of everyone else that you're going to pass by. And when you're not in the right state of mind to be driving a car, don't do it. Simple. You wouldn't think these players that are getting millions of dollars to play a children's game would be the ones screwing, making these bad decisions. But apparently I'm wrong. Uh, That's all I'm going to say about it. Henry Ruggs is an idiot. He deserves his jail sentence. And, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Now, what about the Odell Beckham entire situation? With, For those of you that don't know, I don't know how you wouldn't know. You must have been living under a rock. But Odell Beckham's dad, Odell Beckham Sr., made an 11-minute video of OBJ being wide open and Baker Mayfield not throwing it to him. It's 11 minutes of clips of OBJ being wide open and Baker Mayfield not throwing him the ball. Now, of course, Baker Mayfield did mess up on most of these plays, all right? When you have a wide open receiver, you got to look his way and throw it to him. That's obvious, of course, but it's a lot harder to do that when you're the player under the helmet having all these players trying to tackle you, having all these huge men trying to tackle you, and other people trying to pick the ball off, it's hard to go through your progressions. It's a lot harder to point at someone on your TV screen and be like, throw it to him, than it is to actually throw it to that guy. Alright? It's never as easy as it looks. It's a lot easier to be a fan looking at the screen and point at a guy and say that you should throw it to him. Obviously. Alright? Odell Beckham Sr. is not 
in a spot where he should really be judging, you know, the star quarterback on the team that your son's on. It's stupid to me. It really is. This entire situation... OBJ has always been a diva. Whenever he goes to a team, whatever team it is, he brings drama with him. That That's how he's been throughout his entire career. Not just his NFL career, including his college career. OBJ brings nothing but drama. Sure, he's a talented player, but he's very dramatic and he causes a lot of controversy. Whether that's his family members or that's him. Is besides the point because let's let's be realistic here. Now there's nothing really for to make us believe this, but if his dad is saying that Baker Mayfield, oh, he's doing a terrible job giving OBJ the ball, what do you think OBJ thinks? He obviously thinks the same thing as his dad, that Baker Mayfield has been doing a terrible job getting him the ball. And of course, Kevin Stefanski, he doesn't want this drama. And even before th- this drama, he tried to trade OBJ away to the Saints. And of course, the Saints need him because now they don't have Michael Thomas for the rest of the year. OBJ, he's an incredibly talented player. But no matter where he goes, he's going to bring drama. Especially if you're not giving him the ball. If he's not going to be the key guy to your offensive scheme... He does not want to play there. All right, We knew this when he got traded to the Browns. He's been underutilized by the team. I'm not going to act like he hasn't been. But he's not in a spot where he should be really complaining about it, in all honesty. Because, I mean, like I just said earlier, you are getting paid millions of dollars to play a children's game. All right? I don't care how much pass and how much of a risk you're putting your body in. It is still, at at its core, a children's game, and you are getting paid millions to play it. Alright, you can't complain about, oh, I'm not getting the ball enough. And it's not like you're on a bad team either, where, you know, oh, our team's not doing well because I'm not getting the ball. No, the team the team's doing really well. Really well. It's not like... OBJ needs to have the ball for them to win games. The Browns are still a damn good football team, whether it's Nick Chubb carrying the ball, whether it's Kareem Hunt, whether it's Dearness Johnson. They're still a good football team. All right? It's a completely different story if the team wasn't doing well, but they are. Today, Stefanski told OBJ not to come to practice, and I think that that's going to be what's happening for the rest of the year. Which basically means OBJ is going to be a healthy scratch for the rest of the year. And they're paying him millions of dollars to do this. They wanted to trade him before the deadline, but they couldn't. And now they're just going to be paying OBJ millions of dollars to do literally nothing. But I do think Kevin Stefanski, from the spot they are at now, I think this is the best way to handle the situation. To just tell him not to show up. I really do. Trying to minimize the distraction is the best way to handle this. Instead of, first off, giving OBJ what he wants, that is the worst possible scenario. Alright? 
Because now, let's say they do give LBJ the ball as much as he wants, give him like 11 targets per game, whatever. First off, team definitely does a lot worse in that situation, okay? That, that goes without saying. Second off, let's say it does work for whatever reason. Let's say OBJ is all of a sudden back to his 2015 self and he's putting up, you know, 100 yards per game. Yeah, cool, whatever. What about what about the other players on the team? What about Nick Chubb? What if he were to, what if he sees that OBJ is getting the ball all this much and now he's like, "Hey, why am I not getting the ball?" Even though he's hurt, whatever. Jarvis Landry why am I not getting the ball? Rashard Higgins, why am I not why am I not getting the ball? Kareem Hunt, whenever he comes back, why am I not getting the ball? If it works for OBJ, what will stop these other players on the team from just complaining their way into getting volume? There's nothing to stop that from happening. Because OBJ is setting an example of just what other players could do if Kevin Stefanski was to cave in and listen to OBJ's demands, which is why I'm really happy that he's not doing that. And then there's the other thing they could have done, right? They keep OBJ on the team and keep letting him go to practice and do all that, but he's just completely not happy. Now, not as bad as the first option, but the problem I see with that is that it's just going to be terrible for the locker room. Horrible for the locker room. I mean, no one wants to be on a team where everyone's just divided. Because it will split the locker room in half. There will be the people saying, OBJ should be getting the ball more. There will be the people saying, nah, Kevin Stefanski was right not to give him the ball. Because giving it to Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Dearness Johnson... All these players, giving it to them every play and relying on our amazing offensive line to carry us and allow us to win games works a lot better than throwing it to OBJ. I don't care how talented it is. It's going to split the locker room in half and it's going to cause division and that's never a good sign. You'll never hear players that were on a Super Bowl team because let's be honest, that's what the Browns want to do. They want to win a Super Bowl this year. They have a realistic shot if all goes according to plan. You'll never hear players that were on a Super Bowl team say, oh, we were, we all wanted different things from this team. We, we all wanted this to happen, except these people that wanted this to happen. We wanted to throw the ball more, but other people wanted to run it more. You'll never hear... A good team that was really successful say their locker room was divided on any matter. Because the best teams are the teams where all 53 players want the same exact thing. And even if they don't want the same exact thing, they won't let it become a big deal. OBJ is a diva. He's not a locker room guy. All right, We all know this. And that's the problem. It's not that OBJ is not a talented player. Let's be honest here. We all know OBJ is still a very good talent. But if you're going to complain every play you don't get the ball, you're you're not going to be wanted by a good football team. 
the only teams that will want you are the teams that, A, don't really understand how the sports work, sport works, and they're just going to rely on getting talented players. Or, B, a team that thinks that they could keep you in check, kind of like the Buccaneers did with Antonio Brown. That, that, at least that's how I see it. All right? I really like how the Browns are handling the situation. I think minimizing the problem is the best thing to do. You don't win football just because you have the most talented players. If you have the best guys in the locker room, if you have 53 guys, all right, that are all dedicated and want nothing except a Super Bowl, no, no, nothing distracting them to happen off the field, none of that. Just a bunch of players that want to win. Those are the teams that are successful. Not the teams that have all the talented players. Now, let's talk about another huge, huge, huge thing that happened over the past week that doesn't have to do with the games that were actually played. Deshaun Watson trade attempt from the Dolphins. The Dolphins tried to trade for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, of course it didn't work out. Rare to see a quarterback, especially a quarterback with as big of a name as Deshaun Watson, get traded halfway through the season. But a lot of people were expecting this trade to happen. And personally, I wasn't. I, I, I've learned to never expect a trade to happen until it's official. All right? Because there have been a lot of times where a player requests a trade. A player goes on to the trade market. And the trade just never happens. A lot of times. So I've just learned not to get my hopes up. Kinda. Uh, and I do think Deshaun Watson will eventually get traded. I'm not sure where. But I, I didn't expect it to happen during the season. I think he's going to be a healthy scratch for the rest of the year. I, most people will probably say that. I don't see why the Texans would suddenly rule him active and, you know, let the NFL feel a need to investigate the situation. I I won't I don't really see a point in that. But I want to look at this from the Dolphins' perspective right now, all right? More from the locker room perspective. I just talked about how OBJ and his dad crushing his quarterback on Twitter affected the Browns locker room. How about this trade attempt by the Dolphins? How does it affect the locker room and the people that support Tua is my question. Because yet again, this is another thing that just splits the locker room in half. Okay? Tua is a extremely is an extremely likable guy. Not just a football player. People like Tua. That, that was one of the main things with him, you know. Around when he got drafted, a lot of people were like, I, I would go out and get a beer with this guy. This is a guy that I appreciate. I could definitely see why teammates and players on the Dolphins would like to rally behind a guy like this. This is just a good guy. People like Tua. He... he whether or not he's a good quarterback, that's besides the point. People, players, coaches like Tua. 
because of the person he is, not because of his ability to play football. I, I don't think he's an overly great football player. I don't think he's proved that he could be a franchise quarterback. Although I do believe that there's a three-year rule with quarterbacks, and it's hard to move on from quarterbacks in their first three years. But there definitely are a lot of people in the Dolphins locker room that would be upset if Tua were to lose that starting spot. All right? A lot of players have rallied behind this guy. And now that they know Tua is the next guy off the chopping chopping block and that they're trying to find his replacement, they're going to be pissed. Yet It just divides the locker room, which, like I said, that's never a good thing. Never. You'll never see a good team have players divided. Never. Especially on someone as important as the quarterback. There's going to be a lot of people that won't really know what to do because now they're they're kind of forced to rally behind a guy that may not be on the team next year. All these players on the Dolphins, are they just supposed to act like this attempt for Deshaun Watson never happened? Are they just supposed to be like, oh yeah, you, you tried to trade for Deshaun Watson, but it's okay, we'll still play our hearts out for the rest of the season. What? The Dolphins are trying to throw the season away. Okay? They are trying to throw Tua away. They don't they don't have faith in the te- how the team is right now. That's why they wanted Deshaun Watson. And you expect the players to still like play their heart out for Brian Flores after that? That doesn't make sense. Now, of course, they probably still have some sort of confidence in Tua. They only drafted him a year ago. But it's hard to say that these players... It's hard to give a lot of effort for a quarterback that probably won't be with the team next year. Why would you have faith in a guy as a player... Why would you have faith in Tua when the coaching staff clearly doesn't? That doesn't make sense to me. The Dolphins have been reiterating that Tua is their guy since the offseason. And now you're not really double-crossing him, but you're just going to go out and trade for a big-name quarterback like Deshaun Watson? This is really going to hurt their locker room. And when they have a extremely underwhelming season this year, and their record is very underwhelming compared to what they were expected to be this year, this is going to be a big reason why. I'm going to expect them to lose some games that they shouldn't. And that's all because these players, they're not going to give it their all. Because why would they? The last thing I want to talk about before I get to a break, and yes, after the break, I'll actually get to my takeaways from Week 8, is Von Miller and the big trade that happened. I would say probably the biggest trade from before the deadline. Either this or maybe the Stefan Gilmore one, but I would say, yeah, this is probably the biggest trade that happened. 
did the Rams need a pass rush? And I'm looking at this on paper at first, all right? Let's take a very simple look. Look at their roster. Think about what their big weaknesses are, all right? Did the Rams need a pass rush? No, absolutely not. They have Aaron Donald. They have Leonard Floyd. They're fine. They don't need another pass rusher. Do they need an inside linebacker or a dominant safety more? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the loss of John Johnson still seems to be getting to them. And they haven't had, like, a good inside linebacker, I would say, since Corey Littleton, probably. So, yes, I think that that would have really helped those teams, this team. Both of those things, either a dominant safety or a, dom- or a dominant or even solid inside linebacker, would really help this team. Right? I mean, that's how it looks on paper. But if you look at it really in depth, depth, it really makes sense. And I think that it's perfect that they got Von Miller, of all people, right? So, who do you think the two big teams are that the Rams will have to compete with for the NFC? Right? I mean, if you have common sense, you would have said the Buccaneers and the Cardinals, right? Especially the Cardinals, because the Cardinals are in the same division as them. So they they need to finish the season with a better record than them. And a big way to finish the season with a better record than them is beating them, obviously. That goes without saying. Why am I pointing this out? Well... Let's look at the Cardinals first. How do you how do you beat the Cardinals? I keep asking these questions as if you could answer them, but I don't. I can't hear you if you are ask, answering them. But how do you beat the Cardinals? Right. You beat the Cardinals by containing Kyler Murray because the Cardinals are at their best when Kyler Murray is running out of the pocket, making some big plays happen. All right. When Kyler Murray is, you know doing some magic behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, juking defenders out and extending the play and, you know, rolling out right or left, that's when the Cardinals' offense is at its best. With Von Miller and Leonard Floyd containing Kyler Murray and then Aaron Donald getting pressure up the middle, how how is Kyler Murray going to do anything is my question. I, I, I don't know. I, I really think that this Rams defensive line is perfect to beat Kyler Murray. All right? Is Von Miller who he was in the past? No, absolutely not. Okay, but he's a veteran now. He's a very disciplined defender. He's always been a big technique guy. All right? Von Miller has probably the best technique when it comes to pass rushing move that I've ever seen. He would be very disciplined on how to contain a quick defender like Kyler Murray. And then Leonard Floyd, I'm confident in his ability to, you know, contain Kyler Murray. And that that just leaves Aaron Donald, who we all know is a beast. He's going to get pressure in the middle. Whether he's triple teamed, double teamed, I don't care. He's Aaron Donald. If I'm the Cardinals, I am extremely scared because they are a big reason that the Rams made this move. 
Oh, okay, but what about what about the Buccaneers? Now, this is basically the same, but obviously not. You're not trying to contain Tom Brady. So how how is it really the same? How do you beat Tom Brady? Yet again, I'm asking these rhetorical questions. You beat Tom Brady by getting pressure on him without rushing extra defenders. All right? Look at Super Bowl 42. The Giants against the Patriots. They don't win that game if Michael Strahan isn't constantly getting pressure on Tom Brady. If you can get pressure on Tom Brady without blitzing and get him out of his comfort zone and make him really rush his throws, that's how you beat him. Because when Tom Brady doesn't have time to make his incredibly quick decisions, that's how you beat him. Because, yeah, you know, they have Mike Evans, they have Chris Godwin, they have Antonio Brown, right? You're not going to be able to lock down all those guys. That's obvious. You will not be able to lock up all those guys. But if you can get to the quarterback quick enough, if you can get to Tom Brady quick enough, make him rust the throw, it doesn't matter how wide open Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, or Mike Evans are if Tom Brady can't throw an accurate ball. And let me tell you, with Von Miller or Aaron Donald in his face, he will not be able to make an accurate throw. All right? And, of course, with Jalen Ramsey being on that defense, too, I mean, damn. They, they, I would say, have probably the best defense in the best offense in the league. I would say, like, top three, at least. Now, with Von Miller, you add him in there. I, I get it that their defensive scheme is not anywhere near as good as it was with Brandon Staley, but I still think this could be the best defense in the league again. With Von Miller there, ooh, I, I don't, I don't see how people can beat this team. Yet again, I I, I find it crazy to think that anyone I because the Cardinals were able to beat them. Yes, but now that they have Von Miller, they have the kryptonite to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray will not be able to beat this team. I think that they match up incredibly well against the Cardinals, and if the Cardinals aren't going to beat them, who will? Anyway, you're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. When I get back from the break, I'm actually going to talk about my takeaways from the games and now get to my now weekly power rankings and we are back as i said in the last part of the podcast i want to actually talk about the games from this week sir yeah a lot of stuff happened off the field but let's talk about some of the stuff on the field starting with the big i would say the biggest surprise of this weekend, or even the entire season, you can make an argument. Mike White. Who is this guy? Right? Uh, I mean, just coming out of nowhere and throwing for 400-plus yards in his first start. The second quarterback to ever do that in their first start. The first, of course, being Cam Newton. So, let's 
it's safe to say his career has gotten off to a pretty good start with a game like that. Now, I just want to start by stating the obvious. I've been seeing way too many people say that Mike White that Mike White is already better than Zach Wilson. Are you kidding me? Are you, uh, let's stop being crazy for a second. I, I be happy that a quarterback came out of nowhere, had an amazing performance, all that. Yeah, be happy about it. But do not even let the words come out of your mouth. Zach Wilson was the second overall pick this year. To think that they would give up on him this early, trade away Zach Wilson? Are you kidding me? And you want it is that is something that I would expect from maybe like a nine year old, a ten year old. I've seen like people in their twenties and higher say that the Jets should trade away Zach Wilson and start Mike White already. It was one game. And what makes it even weirder is the week before, people were all saying how bad Mike White was. So weird for me. So weird. I I don't even want to continue to egg on that argument because it shouldn't be an argument. Zach Wilson is clearly the better quarterback. I don't care how much better Mike White played. I could see it maybe being a controversy if Mike White keeps playing like this. But otherwise, let's just keep our mouths shut, please. It was one game. It seemed, I will give you this, it seemed like Mike White did fit the scheme better, almost. Which is crazy, because they only had one week to work with him. But it seemed like Mike LaFleur knew the perfect plays for how Mike White plays the game. All right? I I mean, he's a game manager. You know, he'll take those short throws. He times the throws really well, has very good vision, and he goes through his reads very quickly. So doing these short routes works perfectly with him. Executing a West Coast offense like this was perfect for him. It worked very well in this game. My question is... Where were some of these play calls with Zach Wilson? The, the problem with Zach Wilson has been that we haven't really be, been able to like get him going. You know he could pop these huge plays deep down the field, but that doesn't need to be the entire offense. You have these plays in the playbook that you know can get a solid five, six-yard gain. Do them with Wilson, too. I'm sure that Wilson can execute a simple curl. Throw a simple curl. Can execute some simple slant routes. I I think he could do it. Alright? He was picked second overall for a reason. I think he'd be able to do all the things that Mike White can. Alright? But the thing is, Zach Wilson will be able to do it much better. These shorter pass plays should be used more with Wilson. Alright? Mike White hit the short, easy checkdowns within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. But when he was forced to throw it deep, he played horribly. He was terrible with the deep ball. Zach Wilson has a good deep ball. Now, if you get him to be able to hit these short routes and these easy plays that you designed for Mike White, you'll not only have the 
you know, five-yard gains repeatedly through the air, you'll also be able to pop a deep ball down the field and get the home run. Now, of course, you would have to... I get it, Zach Wilson, you know, he... There are some things I would say Mike White does better. His vision is better. I would say he's a little bit more accurate on, you know, the shorter throws. But I I doubt that you can't teach Zach Wilson some of these things. And that's why I'm really happy they brought in Joe Flacco. I think he will do a very good job teaching Zach Wilson, who played at a very not good school in college at BYU. He didn't really play against the highest of competition. So jumping into the NFL, I expected a slow start from him. And that's why I'm not really surprised by him playing this poorly. I think he's going to step it up with a veteran mentor like Joe Flacco. I think he's only going to get better. And the only thing that game told me was that I could legitimately trust Mike LaFleur to call plays. I think he did a good job last week, and if he keeps calling plays like that and continues to do a good job with the offense, I mean, there's this team can be really good down the road. Of course, not this year, probably not next year, probably not the year after that, but I mean, in four years, five years, this could be a pretty damn good team. They just need to find the right coaches because I think that they have the right talent. They just need to build upon it. All right, let's move on to the Patriots offense, or just the Patriots overall, a team that I think played extremely well recently. They've they've been playing really well. The Patriots offense is very old school in some ways. They try and keep everything inside the numbers, whether it's a pass, and of course the run plays are mainly just right down the middle. They're going to try and overpower you on the line of scrimmage, and they do a pretty damn good job at it, all right? I think this pa- Patriots team was heavily slept on going into the season. They started off a little bit slow, but now they're starting to pick it up. I think that they could be a very good team, and I could see I could see them playing a little bit of January football. I'm not going to lie. I could see them getting into the playoffs. Whether or not they'll make it far, that's the question. But the defense is incredibly disciplined, and the offense has been doing a damn good job. I still think that they're lacking a lot of talent, at least at the offensive skill positions, but they're doing a good job. They're still a good team. Matthew Judon, he, he's been a stud on the defensive side of the ball. Overall, just the defense is incredibly disciplined. They've all been playing well. Even without Stephon Gilmore, they're still a damn good defense. The offense... I think it's all just schemed up. That's the amazing thing. They're they're the same team as last year, just overperforming for how little talent they have. But the reason that they play this well, I mean, it's obvious. Bill Belichick, he's the best coach of all time. I think the best football person of all time. I think that he is... You know how people say Brady is the GOAT, as in just greatest of all time? Of course, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, I would say. But this is my big hot take. I would say the just overall goat of football is Bill Belichick. Right? I mean, eight Super Bowls. I don't want to go on that tangent right now. 
but he is an incredible mind. An incredible mind. He's insanely smart, and he's just showing it here. I mean, this team has no right to be this good. If you look at it on paper, Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback, and coming from Alabama, like, yeah, that that's a great school, and that's exactly what the problem is. Alabama is incredibly talented every year. So it's going to be a lot harder for you to come into this league and start playing well because you're so used to having these amazing receivers that get like 20 yards of separation every play. And then the receivers are nothing special. I would say they probably have a bottom three receiving core in the league. They're good at the tight end position, but that's really about it when it comes to offensive skill positions. Their running backs aren't great. Damian Harris, really? Their offensive line's really good, and, I mean, their defense, they don't really have a lot of super talented guys, but that's part of what makes this team so good. They, they're they not talented, so why, why are they good? Because they're well-coached. It is extremely visible when you watch the team play. They all just do their job. Like Belichick always says, he's been saying it for years now. If everyone does their job, they are a Super Bowl team. If everyone just does what they're supposed to do, if all 11 players in unison do their job, they're, you're going to be successful. People need to understand Belichick rarely ever loses to young, inexperienced quarterbacks like Justin Herbert. Herbert has had two of his worst games of his career against the Patriots. The Patriots are really good at taking advantage of young quarterbacks like that. Really, really good at it. And they just showed it again last weekend. Now, another thing I want to talk about, yet again, this isn't really a takeaway from last week, but I still think it's really important to talk about. Derrick Henry's out for the season. All right? Which sucks. It, it really does to see a player that is that talented. You, you, I'm not sure who was listening to the podcast. I, I, I think it was episode 25, but I was really hyping up Derrick Henry. I was saying that he's a freak of nature, one of the best players in the league. I, I was saying all that stuff. I was saying he was entering... I... Or, I know it's early, but he he seemed to be entering Hall of Fame category. He was starting to be that good. And, well, the Titans will have to play without their running back that made up for 31% of the team's yardage this year. And that's not including his receiving stats. That's just him running the ball. Going from a generational talent who was beginning to step into all-time great category to a 36-year-old Adrian Peterson, that's a massive down- downgrade. Adrian Peterson is obviously not what he was a while ago. If he was, he would obviously be on a team right now. But, you know, they're going to have to make do with what they can. Adrian Peterson, I mean, he has a little bit of juice left. He was Kind of pretty alright for a 35-year-old on the Lions last year. So hopefully, you know, he still has a little bit of juice, can make plays happen. But overall, if I'm a Titans fan, I I mean, I am not too happy. 
It's that simple. Uh, if I'm a Titans fan, I I just want them to maybe finish 500 or around 500. That's the best I could see them doing. I mean, Derrick Henry was so important to that team. And I get that you have Julio Jones. I get that you have A.J. Brown. But they haven't been able to perform too well this year. All right? Part of it was because of their over-reliance on Derrick Henry. But I, I don't think Derrick, I don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to be all that great this year. Now without play action to help him. When, Der- when Ryan Tannehill is just dropped back passing, he does not do too great. And I don't even know if Julio Jones can stay on the field. Okay, he gets injured way too much. A.J. Brown... I mean, he's good. He's insanely talented, and he had a good game last week, but it's going to be a lot harder when teams start seeing him as the number one threat on the offense, which they will now with Derrick Henry out. Expect a lot more double coverage, and don't expect the box to always be stacked like it was against Derrick Henry because now with Adrian Peterson starting at running back, Teams will not be worried about the Titans running attack, running attack anymore. They're not going to be worried. Uh, Julio Jones, AJ Brown, and Ryan Tannehill will need to step up if this team wants to make the playoffs. If I'm a Colts fan, I'm really happy because now the Colts have a very, very good shot of making the playoffs. The Jaguars aren't going to compete. The Texans aren't competing. You just need to be a Titans team that doesn't have its best player. And this best player was, I would say, by far the best player on their offense. Now, let's move on to the weekly power rankings, something that I've been doing for the past three weeks. And honestly, I'm excited for this one because there was a lot of movement this week, all right? So last week, my number 10 was the Cleveland Browns. And they, they moved up a little bit. But we have another AFC North team as my number 10. And then another AFC North team as my number 9. And then another AFC North team as my number 8. There's a lot of AFC North teams on this one, alright? The Steelers. I have my number 10. I still think that their offense is downright terrible. But their defense is just amazing. Pat Fryermuth, he's starting to break out. He could be a very crucial part of that team. Big Ben, he's not a very good quarterback, but Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, just that entire receiving core is very good. Even with Juju out, we have, you know, James Washington and Ray Ray McLeod. We have players stepping up to replace Juju in that role. The offensive line has been playing a lot better than people have expected. And part of that is because we expected their offensive line to be the worst in the league. Our expectations were really low. But still, they're playing kind of pretty all right. Najee Harris, an insanely versatile weapon for the Steelers' offense. Insanely versatile. He is going to be up there for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Jamar Chase still in the same division, I know will probably win it, but I think Najee Harris is the runner-up. And just the defense is just great. TJ Watt, 
Cameron Hayward. I mean, it's just a really, really good unit. Minka Fitzpatrick. The, the entire defense has been playing really well all year. As long as their defense won't, like, leave them in a spot where their offense has to win them the game, the Steelers will keep the game really close. Because the I still think that the offense is pretty incompetent. But it's not as incompetent as last year. So, you know, them having one of the best defenses in the league, they could still win a couple of games. They're, they're still... Pr- they're... I wouldn't say they're overperforming my expectations. They're about as good as my expectations were. And, you know, my expectations were lowering a lot when they started the season as poorly as they did, but they've been bouncing back over the past three games, all right? And that Browns game was a statement win for them. Now, let's move over to number nine. I mentioned Jamar Chase. Number nine is the Bengals. I had them drop five spots. I was really high on the Bengals last week. I'm not as high as them right now because they lo- they lost to the Jet- Jets. That's never good. Allowing 400 yards to Mike White, not a good thing at all. Not good. But, I mean, the talent is still there. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. I hyped them up so much last week. I'm not just going to take them out of the top 10 because of one bad game. Number eight, Cleveland Browns. They lost to the Steelers, I know, but they are not worse than the Steelers, okay? Let's be honest with ourselves. The Browns, with one of the best offensive lines in the league, even with the offseason or off-the-field drama, their defense is just an overall great unit. I still really like this team. Even after that tough loss to the Steelers, I think that they're going to bounce back. And... They, they have a really well-rounded roster. Like I said, the offensive line is great. Once Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt come back, that that offense is going to be even better. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what I see. Now, number seven. This is a team that I didn't want to put this high. But after how they played this week, I kind of had to. The Saints. I did not, like I said, didn't expect the team to be up here. And yeah, Trevor Simeon was playing quarterback, but they're getting Taysom Hill back, even though that's not great. And let's be honest, Jameis Winston wasn't too good either. But, I mean, the offense, they don't really have that many weapons, especially with Michael Thomas out for the season. But somehow they still find ways to win against really good football teams like the Buccaneers. So you know what? I I think I got to give the Saints a little bit of respect. Okay, their defense is really good. Their offense, for some reason, is pretty good, even though they're not really that talented. It's kind of the same as the Patriots. Actually, the more I think about it, the Saints really are just a better New England Patriots, huh? They're the New England Patriots if they had more talent. Very well-coached team that's overperforming their talent, but I would say that they're a little bit more talented than the Patriots. That's what this team is. I never thought about it like that until right now. But, I mean, I'm thinking about it, and yeah, that is the perfect way to define this team. Their defense plays well, and their offense, you know, they, they're they very efficient, which is surprising because they, you look at their roster on paper, offensively, they do not look that good. But, I mean, their offensive line is really good. Alvin Kamara is a good running back. 
everything else is pretty lackluster. But, I mean, the offensive line is the the most important unit on the team. So, you know what? They deserve their respect. They really do. They're a good football team. And that win against the Buccaneers really proved it. Now they have a good, not good, now they have a quarterback that you could somewhat maybe a little bit rely on, or at least rely on more than Trevor Simeon, they're going to be in a really good spot. Now, number six, Tampa Bay. Yes, I still have them ahead of the Saints. They're still a better team than the Saints. I don't care that they lost to them. The Saints match up really well against them. They beat them twice in the regular season last year, and now they're beating them again in the regular season this year. I'm not that surprised. Okay, the Saints have the Buccaneers' number, okay? So I'm not really that surprised when an insanely talented team loses one game. Let's not overreact. Tom Brady is still a great quarterback who's competing for MVP. They have the most stacked offense or just overall most stacked roster in the league. Mike Evans, Levante David, Devin White, Vita Vea, Shaquille Barrett, Mike Evans. It's just stacked to the brim. Chris Godwin, Tom Brady, Giovanni Bernard, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones. I could literally name that team's entire roster because that entire roster is deserving of a starting spot. Just They're insanely deep at every position except cornerback, which is for some reason the only position that's really had injuries with the team, which I just feel bad for them. Like, they drafted Def at defensive end with Joe Tryon. But, of course, the corners, the one position where they don't have Def gets hurt. Like, that's just really bad luck for the Buccaneers. But you know what? Some of the guys are supposed to return, so the team's only going to get better. Oh, and Gronk is supposed to return soon, so that's great. Now, there was a there is a huge drop between 5 and 6, Okay. Because how the Buccaneers played, they did drop out of the top five. And I don't think that they're really even that close to the top five. I think these five teams I'm about to name are a league ahead of the rest. Number five, the Buffalo Bills. They played well against Miami. They didn't play great, but they played well. I still think that they're a damn good football team, okay? Josh Allen, great quarterback. Stephon Diggs, great receiver. Just that entire receiver core is great. Insanely deep. Ryan Dabble is a great offensive coordinator. The defense has really surprised me. They might have the best defense in the entire NFL with how they've been playing. Jardavius White. Their defensive line has been really good for whatever reason. Uh, the linebackers. Tremaine Edmonds is a great player. Just overall, a damn good football team. A damn good one. They're going to make it far in the AFC, aren't they? I think I actually had them as the highest-ranked AFC team. Yes, I do. Uh, Looking at it right now, I only have four AFC teams on the list, and only one of them is in the top seven, that being the Buffalo Bills. Let's move over to number four, the Cardinals, who are no longer undefeated. They lost that game in the last couple of seconds off of a miscommunication with A.J. Green. You hate to see a team lose like that, but a loss is a loss. And, you know, three teams... Played really damn well this week, so I had to put them ahead of the Cardinals. Even though the Cardinals were number one last week, I got to give these three teams their respect, even though I think the Cardinals are still a fucking great team. 
Kyler Murray's a great quarterback. DeAndre Hopkins, an insanely deep receiver core. I mean, I love it. Number three is the team that wanted their starting quarterback this week, Green Bay Packers. They beat the undefeated Cardinals with an injury and COVID reserve plagued roster. I have to give them credit, man. Like, that's a difficult thing to do to beat an undefeated team eight weeks into the season with most of your players out at a huge disadvantage. That's insanely difficult. But, you know, the Packers pulled through. They really did. They played really good football. Although their defense wasn't all that great. I mean, the Packers are a team to look out for, okay? Even though we all thought otherwise when they lost in Week 1, got blown out by the Saints, the Packers are still a really good football team. Now, number two, the Cowboys. They're just overall insanely talented. Offensive line, when they're healthy, it's one of the best units in the league. Tony Pollard and Zeke. That is a very good running back duo. They were able to keep a game insanely close against a decently good Minnesota Vikings football team with Cooper Rush playing at quarterback instead of their star quarterback, Dak Prescott, who has a very, very good receiver core with Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup should be returning from the IR sometime soon. And then the defense has really stepped it up under Dan Quinn. Greg, Randy Gregory has been a huge breakout player for the team this year. I called it. I said he would be really good. But he's even surprised me. He is playing some really good football. All right. Keanu Neal, I've, I've been saying repeatedly, he was an insanely underrated offseason move. And I still think that he's contributing hugely to the team. Micah Parsons. He's having a really, really good rookie year so far. Leighton Vandress, we all know he's a good linebacker. And the secondary with Trevon Diggs, the NFL leader in interceptions right now, has been playing a lot better than last year. It was very underwhelming last year, and they're playing really good football right now. Number one, this should be obvious, the Rams, after trading for Von Miller, I don't think that the team is beatable. I don't really feel a need to elaborate on that. One of the best offenses in the league with Cooper Cup, who's been lighting it up, and Matthew Stafford, a really good offensive line. Daryl Henderson's been a solid running back. Tyler Higby's a good tight end. Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, who's going to have an increased role now because they just released Deshaun Jackson. And then the defense is just going to be really, really good now that they have Von Miller. I mean, overall, just... A great football team. I don't know how they're going to lose games now. With the addition of Von Miller, they're going to be an insanely tough team to beat. All right, that's all I have for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. This one was a little bit long, but there was a lot to talk about. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL with no capitals, no spaces on TikTok and Instagram. And I'll see you next week.